Good morning. It is wonderful to be here with you. And we are honored today as fathers to be, to be uh, given tribute as we were this morning. Thank you to those who gave tributes and also for the songs that were sung. It was all very fitting and uh, we feel honored here this morning. We know that uh, we've, we've done a successful job of doing things like decorating when small boys can't help but climb up to the top corner and go after the tractor. I think we've, we've hit the nail right on the head, so thanks to the, those who do, do the decorating in our church as well. Uh, one thing I just want to draw to your attention, we are privileged at this season of the year to look ahead to welcoming new members into this church fellowship as we look ahead to Baptism Sunday. And just want to uh, make you aware of the fact that next Sunday we're starting at 10 a.m., the regular worship time. We're starting early. It's a, a full service, so please be here at 10 a.m. There won't be Sunday school prior, so please make sure to mark that on your calendar for next week. We're really looking forward to hearing the testimonies of Eric Reimer, Caden Clausen, and Mitchell Conrad, uh, who will be getting baptized next Sunday as well as Brittany Greening, who is going to be uh, joining the church as a member. She's going to share her testimony as well. So we're looking forward to that next Sunday, and please hold them up in your prayers this week, especially as they are dealing with some nervousness, I think, possibly, with uh, preparing their testimonies and sharing. So please just pray for God's hand on them as they prepare for that. Would you now bow with me, and let's pray together as we enter God's word. Thank you, Lord God, that you set the perfect standard for what a father is. You are the perfect father. And we who are earthly fathers, human fathers, we fall so short so often of your standard of what the perfect father looks like. But thank you, God, that you also show us what grace looks like. You show us what patience looks like. And Lord, you are always ready and willing to help us earthly fathers when we need it. When we stumble, you're ready to pick us back up. And thank you, God, that you are there to do that for us. And so, Lord, today we pray that you as our Father would lay a special hand on those in our congregation who need that extra strength from you today. We think, Lord, of those getting baptized next Sunday, and we pray that you would lay your hand on them, be with Eric, Mitchell, and Caden as they prepare for next Sunday, as they prepare their testimonies. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just give them calmness, and give them courage, Lord, to share from the heart what you have done in their lives. We thank you for the work you are doing in them, and we look forward, Lord, to seeing that work continue in this church fellowship as they commit themselves, Lord, to following you through this act of obedience and being baptized. And may we, Lord, as a church fellowship, support them and stand with them, Lord, in encouragement and upholding them in our prayers as well. We know that you are building up your church, and so, Father, thank you that we can be a part of that. And now this morning, Lord, as we enter your word, we are confronted with a very challenging account from your life, Lord Jesus, where you uh, dealt with a very interesting situation, one that is something outside of most of our comfort zones, outside of that which we're familiar with in the realm of demonic possession and the, the hand of the enemy working in someone's life. And so, Father, we pray that by your spirit you would guide us into truth, grant us understanding. And Father, we pray that you would give us application for our own lives as we hear from your word. So challenge us and speak to us, I pray. May the words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Now someone once said that parents spend the first part of a child's life urging him to talk and walk, 
and the rest of their life telling them to sit down and be quiet. Now, seeing as I'm on both sides of that spectrum right now, I thought that was a fitting way to start off the service. I have our youngest who still refuses to walk, even though we've seen him do it many times in many different places. He'll still shuffle around on his knees if we tell him to walk, so we're dealing with that. And on the other side of the spectrum, we have uh, our oldest who never stops talking, and I'm not sure where he gets that from. (laughs) But uh, one of these days, we'll have a moment of silence, I'm sure. Now, this message this morning is going to be geared specifically towards fathers, but I pray that for those who are not in the position of fathers here today, those who are uh, mothers, wives, uh, daughters, I pray that you will also be blessed and challenged as you hear this, uh, not only in the realm of that God's Word has application for everyone, but also in the realm of understanding that uh, in the different roles that God has given us as male and female, that we want to be able to identify what God has for those in our lives who may be our father, may be our husband, or, or in a different role, that we can know the role God has asked us to play and encourage each other in that. And so I pray that we would all get something out of this word this morning. And so to you fathers specifically today, I speak to you as a father. And I hope that whatever stage you're in, whether some of you here are in the stage of your days of changing diapers are long in the rearview mirror. Uh, you're, you're perhaps in the realm of grandfather. Some of you might be in the realm of right now, you're in the thick of it, you've got lots of kids at home, and you're dealing with it day in, day out. And some of you are in that realm where you're just on the cusp of becoming a father, and there's one here this morning who's excited about it. It could happen at any moment, so if they get up and go here, we'll just pray for you and bless you, and whatever you do with the speed limit, you know, that's between you and God. So... <laughs> I've been there. It's an exciting time in life. But whatever stage you're in, even if you're a young man who the concept of being a father is something in the distant future, I pray that this would also speak to you. Now, God has many things that he asks of a father. It is a daunting role. It's a challenging role to be the man and the father that God has made you to be. But it is something that God desires of each one of us. And the reason is, is because, first of all, your wife desires it. Your children need it. And the future of your family depends on it. I want to share with you the story of a man named Wagner Dodge. Floating high above Helena National Forest, Montana, firefighter Wagner Dodge would soon face a deadly dilemma. Only he didn't know it yet. Jumping out of the C-47 cargo plane at exactly 4.10 p.m. on August 5, 1949, Wagner and his 14 smoke jumpers had no clue that they were about to become a footnote of one of the most deadly forest fires in United States history. As their chutes deployed and every man landed safely, they began to make their way down the mountainside to the rendezvous point. There, joining up with the park ranger already on the ground, Wagner Dodge scouted ahead to assess the fire And the first thing he noticed was that it was burning much hotter than anticipated, and he was not able to approach closer than 100 feet of the flames. Coming up with a plan of attack quickly, he headed back to join up with the rest of his men. Unbeknown to him in this time as he was traveling back to his men, the swirling winds had changed direction. And so now the fire was being blown back up the mountainside across the ridge straight towards them. 
To make matters worse, the fire reached an area of dense, dry prairie grass, causing what firefighters call a blow-up, instantly transforming the previously controllable blaze into an out-of-control inferno, traveling at incredible speeds. However, because they were momentarily unable to see the bottom of the ridge, Wagner was oblivious to the danger that he and his men now faced, and so they turned around and headed back down, down the ravine straight towards the inferno that was headed their way. When he finally comes over the ridge and sees what has happened in the time in between, Wagner's blood turns cold and he orders his men to drop their equipment, drop everything, and beat a hasty retreat back up the ridge. Breathless and with heart racing, Wagner quickly realized as they raced back up the ridge that they would not be able to outrun this wall of flame and make it safely to the ridgeline. In just a minute, or perhaps two at the most, he estimated that they would be overcome and burned to death. The roar was deafening. Smoke, embers, and ashes swirled in all directions. The apparent options offered no escape. They could stand where they were, try to fight the fire and be fatally burned, or they could run and be overcome and be fatally burned. Suddenly, Wagner stopped and took out a match from his shoulder pocket. He lit the match and then threw it into the shoulder-high grass in front of them. His men, watching him from behind, thought he had lost his mind. In an instant, the grass was ablaze in widening circles. As the ring of fire spread, it cleared a small area of flammable substances. It was not much of a safety zone, but it would do. Wagner yelled for his men to follow, then jumped over the blazing ring, moved to its smoldering center, wrapped a wet cloth around his face, pressed his face to the ground, and waited. As he had anticipated, the surging wall of fire rounded both sides of his small circle, leapt over the top, but found nothing to ignite within. In moments, the firewall passed over, leaving him unscathed. He stood, brushed off, the ash and debris, and found that he was no worse for wear. Looking around for his men, he realized, however, that none of them had followed his lead. Two of his men managed to burrow into a rock cleft nearby and managed to survive, but the 13 other men decided that they could outrun the fire, and they died trying. The time at which the fire engulfed the men was judged by the melted hands of one of the smoke jumper's pocket watch, forever frozen by the intense heat at 5.56 p.m. There are certain times in every man's life when the best course of action is to run from danger, but there also comes a moment in life where every man has to decide when to take a stand, when to stop running, stop avoiding, and to do whatever it takes to protect those within your care. The dangers that our children face today are very real, and if we as fathers won't step up to protect them, who will? In today's text, we see a father who does just that. And I would invite you to turn there with me this morning, Mark chapter 9, and there beginning at verse 14. Let's read it one more time so that the details of the story are, are familiar to us as we get into it. Verse 14 when they, referring to Jesus and his twelve disciples, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son 
who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, in this story, there are a number of principles to draw out for us this morning. And the first is this. Fathers need to have a sense of urgency. We need to have a sense of urgency in directing our children towards Jesus Christ. Here we see a father who is absolutely desperate. He is urgent in his desperation to help his son in whatever way he can. Now, we have no idea what this man's occupation was. We don't know what his background was or his history. We could extrapolate a few guesses from the text, but the reality is it doesn't matter. He could have been the president of a large business venue in Jerusalem. He could have been a wealthy, influential man. Or he could have been someone on the low end of the social spectrum, a day laborer who worked for minimum wage. But on this particular day, his social standing means nothing. He doesn't care that he's causing a scene. He doesn't care that the religious elites and Jesus' disciples are arguing over his demon-possessed son. He doesn't care that most everyone would assume that his son's condition was caused because of his sin. And he doesn't care that he's just cut off everyone else in order to get Jesus' attention. His only concern is that his son, his precious son, could be delivered, could be healed. And so out of this desperation, out of this urgency, he speaks up and he gets Jesus' attention. When it comes to the spiritual needs of our children, do we have this same sort of sense of urgency as the father in this text? Are we today ready and willing to stop caring about what other people think or say or do and just do whatever it takes to direct our children towards Jesus Christ? Or perhaps do we, like many, say, I'm too busy today, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it later when the opportunity arises, then I'll do it. I'll talk to them when they're older and they can understand better. Now they're just a little too young. I don't think they'll get it. And we, we delay and we put things off and we keep running, as it were. But I want you to look at verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father this very important question. He sees the boy's condition. He sees him foaming at the mouth. He's throwing on the ground in convulsions. And he asks the question, how long has he been like this? How long? Look at the answer. From childhood. From childhood. This was something that had been going on for a long time in this young man's life. From childhood. You see, the enemy does not wait until a certain age to begin influencing our children, does he? The enemy does not respect age limits. He doesn't say, I'll wait until they're five, I'll wait until they're ten, and then I'm going to begin influencing them, then I'm going to begin preying upon them. No, the devil is no respecter of age nor person. He begins preying on them as soon as possible. And we see that in this story. From a young child, this boy had been afflicted by an evil spirit. And so we see here, that it's never too early, fathers, to engage in the lives of our children or in the lives of your grandchildren, for that matter. I want you to notice here 
that though the enemy is no respecter of age and he begins praying at a young age, it takes the father perhaps a lot longer to realize that his son needs help and he's willing to step in and intervene. But I want you to know that even if you have delayed in your life, it's never too late to step in, to develop that sense of urgency and say, today I'm going to stop running, I'm going to stop delaying, and I am going to step up to the plate. Because fathers, if you don't step up to the plate, who will? And fathers, don't step up to the plate tomorrow. Tomorrow might be too late. Step up today. Now your kids might not admit it or even know it, but they need you. That is the reality. Your kids need you. So let's be urgent about it today. Fathers, secondly, accept your God-given responsibility of being the spiritual leader of your family. I want you to notice in this story that it is not the mother, but the father who has brought his son to Jesus. Now, in our call to worship this morning from Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15, Joshua is at the end of his life. He's been the leader of Israel for some time, and he leaves his final instructions to the nation. And listen to what he says. He doesn't give them an attaboy. He doesn't give them some really nice, encouraging words. No, he gives them a challenge. And I think this challenge was primarily directed, primarily directed towards the fathers and the men and the leaders within their families when he gives this challenge. And I want to direct this challenge to each one of us today. Listen to what Joshua says. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. And then verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then he concludes, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now I want you to notice that Joshua is accepting responsibility for his entire family. His entire family. And he doesn't take a vote on the matter. As the leader, he simply declares, This family will serve the Lord. You decide for your family, but my family, it is, a, it is a done deal. I have made the decision. This family serves the Lord. And so now, men, once we make that declaration, there's one thing you have to be aware of. Once we step up to the plate and we say, as the leader of this family, as the spiritual leader, this, this family will serve the Lord. This is a house under God's rules and under God's guidance. But once we make that declaration, we have to follow through in our actions. We cannot simply say, this family serves the Lord, and then abdicate our responsibility by saying, from now on, the Sunday school teacher, the youth leader, and their mom can take care of all that spiritual stuff. I don't need to do anything from here on out. No, you see, we have to engage in a hands-on way with our children. We have, to, we have to be involved in their training and not just leave it for others. We can't just make declaration and then back away. We have to make declaration and then follow through. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Did you notice who that verse was addressed to? Did anyone miss it? Fathers. Fathers. This is addressed to us. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, of course, this goes almost without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, that we all know how important, how vital the role of a mother is in nurturing a child's life. 
this, this just goes almost without saying, but I'm saying it anyways, because we need to know that this is balanced out in a partnership. Mothers have such a vital role to play. But fathers, we need to see that this is not just a one-person show. This is a partnership. And fathers, we need to embrace our part in the spiritual leadership and teaching of our families. And so this is what is being said here. We have a part to play, and we have to step up. For too long, I believe, the, the landscape of Christianity in Canada and the United States has, being, has been bought into this lie that fathers, we sort of play this distant role in, in the leading and training of our children, and that we leave all the spiritual uh, training and mentorship to the mothers. And, and what, what that's been doing now for a couple of generations is that as parents, as, as children grow up to become parents themselves, they accept this as just how things are, that dad doesn't really have a role to play in the teaching and instruction of children. And so this keeps perpetrating itself from one generation to the next. And the statistics have been showing consistently that in the family where the father is almost absentee in the spiritual guidance of their children, the percentage of children who fall away from the faith in church is significantly higher than those who have a father who is actively engaged in the spiritual life of their family, who is bringing them to church consistently on Sunday morning, who is praying with his children, who is leading the family in devotions. The statistics, I don't even want to bring out the numbers, but they're staggering as to how much higher they are with children who follow through into their adult years with their faith when the father steps up to the plate versus those who abdicate to others. And so, men, this is a challenge to us today. Are we going to step up to the plate and follow through on our declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, if you didn't know this already, the stakes could not be higher. The reality is that this world needs us fathers to fulfill our God-given role as badly as ever before in history. The dangers in this world are very real, and the stakes are as high as they have ever been, with the results rippling forward to not only future generations, but into eternity itself. And so we as fathers have been entrusted by God with the mandate to lead our families well, to love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church, and to teach our children about the Lord and direct their lives and their very souls towards him. And as if that isn't enough of a challenge, we are called to do this in a world that is seemingly on fire where the dangers seem to flare up and pounce from unexpected directions, coming at us with speeds that take our breath away. We have to face decisions that we'd rather never have to face. Now I'm quite certain that as we return to our text and we look at the father who has brought his son to Jesus, I am certain, I am positive, that the first time he held that son of his in his arms, he never in his wildest imaginations dreamt of the possibility that his precious newborn son would one day be afflicted by a demon. And yet he had to face it. And he had to take the reality of this head on. And so fathers, this comes to our third point this morning from our text. We need to recognize that the enemy is very real. Now I don't think I need to tell any of you this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Satan is real. Demons are real. And evil is real in this world. What was happening to this boy in this account was not an illness. It was not allegory. The demonic spirit that was preying upon this child was very real and very dangerous. 
And the descriptions we are given of what this spirit had done to the boy are simply horrific. It had robbed him of speech. It would throw him into convulsions. It would make him foam with the mouth. And it had, on multiple occasions, forced him to attempt suicide by throwing himself into the fire and into the water. Verse 20 says, When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. What a kind of crazy picture is this? What an utterly tragic scene. Can you just imagine the scars that this boy had from the fires he'd been thrown into? Imagine the spectacle that he now presents to a gawking crowd. Now, I know the world out there is very cynical and skeptical about the spiritual realm, and we can deny that the demonic exists. We can call it hyperbole. We can call it misdiagnosed mental illness. We can call it whatever we want. But demonic affliction and possession are presented as fact in Scripture. And without going into details today, I've encountered enough spiritual warfare in my life to know the reality of it. It is not pretend. It is not made up. It is very real. And Paul says that the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. And yes, his prey includes children. And so dads, let me just ask you. If your child was to fall into a pit of lions and, and you see the lion on one side, you see your child on the other side, what would you do? Dad, what, what do you do? What is your instinct? There is a lion and there is a child. You're going to jump in there, aren't you? You're going to throw caution to the wind and you're going to launch yourself into that pit and you're going to get between that lion and your child. And you're going to take on that lion with your bare hands if you have to. Like, yeah, you're going to look for a baseball bat if there's one handy, but if there's not, bring it on, lion. I am going to do whatever it takes to rescue my son and bring him to safety. Isn't that what you do, fathers? That's what we're called to do in this realm as well. And so we'd better put on the spiritual armor. Because the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking those he can devour. And now, of course, we need to recognize that Satan is cunning. And his schemes and strategies change from one age to the next. What Jesus encountered with demonic possession with this boy is not something that is prevalent in our culture today. His tactics have changed. In our secular culture, he is influencing us through different strategies today. And one of them is primarily through technology and the influence of pop culture. Being a father of two young boys, I am absolutely staggered by how much the world has changed from when I was four years old to the world that my four-year-old faces today. You know, back then, uh, the internet didn't exist. You guys remember that when the internet didn't exist? Yeah, crazy times, right? I was four years old. The internet wasn't even something people knew about yet. Whatever cell phones did exist were in a suitcase about this size and people lugged them around with cables hanging out and probably had to put up an antenna to make them work. Back then, for TV, if you got three channels, you were the envy of the neighborhood. You know, because you had that big antenna up on top of the roof and if you turned it just right, you could get CKND, Channel 2, for those of you that are familiar. (laughs) You know, but it wasn't just technology that was different. The world was different. Our, Our landscape culturally was different. Back in 1986, believe it or not, the Lord's Prayer was still recited in every public school every morning across this nation. My, how things have changed. Look at the landscape. Now, I'm not being one of those people who says that everything was good in the good old days and everything's bad today. No, it's not what I'm saying. 
But what I, I am recognizing, and I think we all have to recognize, is that there is something happening in our culture today that the further we drift from God, the more it's being seen in our, in our culture around us. And these are things that our children, my boys, are going to have to grow up in. They're going to have to face. And the threats are very real. And so as fathers, we have to take off the blinders and to see the threats, to recognize the dangers and do the best we can to protect our children. But we can only protect them for so long. Isn't that right? There comes a point where we have to equip them to face the battle on their own two feet. And so that is what we are called to do. Because the enemy is very real. And he's no respecter of age. So we need to be on guard to protect our children. So let me, let me just say, having a four-year-old and, a, and an almost two-year-old, does this scare me? Yeah, it scares me. It scares me a lot, actually. But what I do with that fear is what's important. The fear causes me to go to my knees in prayer. The fear causes me to exercise my faith. And this is where the father's faith in the story comes into play. End of verse 22, we see the desperate father. He makes his plea to Jesus for help. And this is what he says. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now let me ask you, how many times in your prayers have you used the word if? If you can, Lord, could you do something about this? And Jesus' reply is the same to us as it was to this father. If you can? If? What's this if all about? Is anything too hard for me? Is anything impossible for God? Take the ifs out of your prayers. Exercise your faith and be confident, Jesus says. Believe. Pray with a whole heart. And see what God can do. And so here we see a very important principle, not just for fathers, but for everyone. This is the key to unlocking the miracle working power of God. Believe. Believe. Have faith that what we ask of God, he is able and ready and willing to do. And so right now, right now, if your child, your grandchild, someone you care about has rejected God's way, They've fallen into one of the traps of the enemy, and they've they've gone the way of the world. Believe right now that the same power that delivered that boy from the demonic oppression is the same power that can rescue your child as well. And if, like this father, you recognize that your, your own faith is inadequate for the challenge, it's weak, it can't stand up to the test, be honest about it. Because that's what Jesus loves about this father. He is honest. Listen to what he says. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He is honest about his inadequacies. He's honest that he's only half-hearted in how much he believes that Jesus can really do. And that's what we have to do sometimes as well. We want God to do something, but we have this skepticism in our heart. Is he really going to follow through? And it's in times like that we have to say, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to believe more that I can pray with conviction and allow you to do what you do best, do the impossible. And so here we see that this mustard seed faith was enough for Jesus to do the impossible. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, 
violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. Now, fathers, some of you might feel down and defeated right about now. Some of you might be looking back at the missed opportunities with your children and you're now regretting it. Some of you might have older children who are making bad decisions with their life and you feel powerless to do anything about it. Some of you might feel like you don't even know where to begin being a spiritual leader in your home. Well, let me tell you where all the truly strong men begin and end their day. On their knees. If you feel inadequate for the challenge, hey, join, join the rest of us. It is not about our adequacy. Our adequacy, it is about the Lord's. It is not about our strength, it is about His. And so we need to access that strength through faith and in prayer. And so today, I challenge you men, begin and end your day in prayer. That is where we will find our strength. In our men's Sunday school class, Craig Rochelle reminded us of this. Satan loves to make strong men weak, but God loves to make weak men weak strong. Are you a weak man? I know I am. But through God, I can do great things because he strengthens me for the battle. We have to seek him in our weakness and find his strength poured out into our lives. And so men, exercise your faith to call on a power greater than yourself for the help that you need. Decide today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Stop running. Decide today to be the man and father that God has made you to be. And through faith and by the power of God, stop running and face the fire. Because your wife desires it. Your, your children need it. And the future of your family depends upon it. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize that in this world we will have trouble. But we take heart, for you have overcome the world. Father, today we recognize that in our weakness, there you are strong. And so, Father, as, as men today, we have received a challenge as straight from you. And we recognize our inadequacies. We recognize, Lord, where we have failed. But we want to embrace today that, Lord, in you, we can do all things through you who gives us strength. And so, Father, strengthen our hands, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our minds, Lord, to be the men, to be the fathers, to be the husbands that you have called us to be. Help us, Lord, to love our wives the way that you have called us to love them. Help us to train and nurture and discipline our children in such a way that you could bless it and draw them towards yourself. And Father, we pray, Lord, for the children that are represented within this church family who are prodigals, who have strayed, who are walking away from your way. And we pray, God, with all of the faith that we can muster, would you draw them back to yourself? Oh God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Would you return those missing sheep back to the fold? And Father, we pray that you would build up your church as you strengthen our hands to do what you have given us to do. Bless the men in this church. Bless the wives in this church. Bless the children in this church, Lord. May each one of us find our role and our strength in you and what you have called us to do. For your glory and the building up of your church and the expanding of your kingdom, we pray it. In Jesus' name.